Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. It comes to us from John's Gospel, the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to turn as you are able in your own Bible or in the Pew Bible in front of you to page 96, where the words will be on the screen. Hear now God's word. As he walked along... He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And then he went and washed and came back able to see. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, God of grace and God of mercy, into this place we come today. We come anticipating your holy presence. We come expecting a word, a word from you that might encourage us, give us hope, equip us, and send us forth. And so speak, Lord, for your children are listening By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. There's no such thing as a dumb question. We've probably said that. I know we've heard that before, that there is no such thing as a dumb question, but in reality, yeah, there might be such a thing as a dumb question here or there. Maybe you yourself have asked something, and as soon as you've asked it, you've thought, why did I do that? Why did I even say that? Or or maybe you've been asked a question that you think they didn't really think that through very much before they asked that question. I remember going to a drive-thru. I had placed my order through that speaker and given everything, and the person read back my order to me. They told me how much it was that I was going to be paying at the second window, and then they asked me the question, is that for here or to go? (laughs) Yeah, I'll just sit here in the drive-thru lane and eat it right here (laughs) for here. We get asked those questions sometimes. I, in fact, posed the same question. What are some dumb questions that you yourself have heard? And I posted it on social media this week. And a friend of mine who was a labor and delivery nurse at a hospital in Philadelphia said that one time she had a patient who was being induced to give to, in labor. And the patient asked the nurse, can my husband receive some of this medicine as well so that he might experience the contractions that I am? That's not quite how that works. 
I have another friend that said that he had asked a dumb question himself. He owned that he had asked a question that might not have been the smartest, but he got an interesting reply. He was at a fast food restaurant, and he asked the person who was taking the order, if I get a double quarter pounder, does that equate to a half pounder? And the person behind the counter was stumped, and they said, I'm not sure. I'll have to ask the manager. You know, these dumb questions, there are such a thing as dumb questions. and We ourselves might be guilty of asking those questions or even receiving those questions and the way that we respond to those. And as we're in the midst of March Madness, I'm reminded of just a few years ago, Baylor had been upset by Yale. I mean, it was a tremendous upset in the tournament. And this one player, Tarian Prince, had scored 28 points. It was, he was a senior. It was his last game as a college athlete. And he was brokenhearted. And yet they still have to go to those press conferences. Oh, I feel so bad every time those players that have lost have to answer sometimes ridiculous questions from those reporters. And so here is this player in the midst of the grief of losing that game that he had had such high hopes for. And the reporter asked him, how is it that Yale out-rebounded Baylor? I mean, Baylor had taller athletes, Baylor had stronger athletes, and yet they were out-rebounded. And so the reporter asked him, how is it that Baylor was out-rebounded by Yale? And the player didn't really know how to respond, but I think he gave a master class in how to answer a dumb question. He, he said, and I quote, well, you go up, and grab the ball off the rim when it comes off, and then you grab it with two hands, and you come down with it, and that's considered a rebound. And they got more of those than we did. <laughs> well stated. That seems like that almost could come out of the movie Airplane. <laughs> We've got to get this woman to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a tall building with a lot of rooms, but that's not important right now. <laughs> You know, we hear these questions sometimes and the responses that we offer may talk about, that may share a little bit about the perspective that we're coming from. I remember in high school or in college, there would always be that one person that would raise their hand to ask a question that really was more about them wanting to show how much they knew. They didn't really have an honest inquiry about seeking more information. They wanted to show the professor or their colleagues, how much they know. We've experienced that in schools. You've probably experienced it at work where someone has to ask a question just so that their boss might be impressed with the way that they ask it. How we receive those questions, how we offer those questions, says a lot about us. Jesus, can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus who gets asked so many questions? Now, as we read through the scriptures, a lot of times we recognize Jesus himself will ask a lot of questions. But if you read through also, you'll see a number of times that Jesus himself is asked a question. And imagine what that must have been like for him. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and everything in between. He is the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so this Jesus, who knows all, sees all, experiences all, he gets asked some really strange questions from time to time. A lot of times, those questions were asked by Pharisees or the scribes, those that are trying to trip Jesus up. 
trying to get him to answer something so that they can point at him and say, aha, gotcha. And that would take away his authority, they thought. And so they would ask these questions, trying to get him to trip up. For example, the question, is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar? Or even the convoluted question where they ask, if a woman is married several times, whose wife will she be in heaven? They're just waiting for Jesus to answer in such a way that they can say, ha, that's wrong. That's not the right answer. I even think about another time that Jesus is asked a question is when he's in the boat and there's the storm that comes up and Jesus is asleep and the disciples come to him and wake him and say, don't you even care that we are about to drown, that we're about to die? Of course Jesus cared. Of course Jesus cared. So Jesus had to bring peace to that storm. I get it that we may say that there's no such thing as a dumb question. And if somebody really is seeking knowledge or understanding, there is no such thing as a dumb question. But there's something about this question that gets asked in John chapter 9 today that makes it seem like a really dumb question and says something about the people that are the ones asking it. In this passage, in John chapter 9, we are just on the heels of, in John chapter 8, you can read those verses just before, that Jesus has caused so much of a controversy that people are ready to kill him at that point. They had taken up stones, ready to stone him, and yet the scripture says that Jesus was able to slip away. And now here we are as Jesus and his disciples are walking along in Jerusalem. They see a man off to the side. A man... And is blind. And so an unnamed disciple asks a question. I think it's unnamed on purpose because nobody wants to get pinned with being the one that actually asked this question. Who, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents who sinned that caused him to be blind? <laughs> who sinned? I mean, they're seeing the person. They're seeing the human condition. They're seeing what he is going through. But they don't see him. Jesus. Oh, I can only imagine how frustrating that that was for him to receive this question. I mean, they had a book in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, that they themselves had studied and read called Job that deals with this topic of human suffering and how God can still be revealed and glorified through it. And so they ask this question. I think, again, I find it fascinating that it's unnamed. We don't know which disciple it is. My guess is it might have been John since he's the author of this book. And John himself didn't want to identify that he was the one that asked this question. Who sinned? You know, the thing is, it's a part of who we are a lot of times. We will ask such questions. We want to try to justify and understand people's circumstances. People are poor. And it must be because dot, dot, dot. People are incarcerated. And surely it must be because dot, dot, dot. People are sick because dot, dot, dot. I think we like to have those answers. We like to put blame. We like to point and say, aha, that's why. And you know, I wonder how many times that blind man had asked himself those same questions. Who sinned? What did I do to bring this upon me? 
How many times might he have asked himself that same question? Jesus hears their question. Who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? But Jesus answers it in a different way. Jesus, he changes their perspective. And instead of just recognizing the circumstances that he's in, Jesus sees the person. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus takes their question and he's able to turn it, offer a new perspective, a different way of looking at the circumstances that this individual is dealing with. The disciples only see the condition of blindness, but Jesus sees it as an opportunity for God's works to be revealed through him. God is constantly taking a look, giving different perspectives of the ways that we are called to be able to look at the world. I think of back in Samuel, in 1 Samuel, when God sends Samuel to anoint a new king of Israel. He goes and he's led to the house of Jesse. And Samuel asks for all of the sons to be brought forward. And first comes Eliab. And as Eliab is presented, he's tall, he's strong, he's mighty. And Samuel says, surely this must be the Lord's anointed. But God speaks to Samuel and says, no, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And it's ultimately after all the sons are brought forward that the youngest, the smallest, the smallest David is the one that God has anointed. It's a different perspective. It's not just what's on the outside. God is looking at it as a whole. And look, I believe that Jesus is calling all of us just as he called his disciples Jesus is calling all of us to, to look at the world as God would see it. And instead of looking to point blame, that he would look for us to look in love. That we would see, open our eyes that we would see. Changing our perspectives on the suffering that is around us. I think of how God changed the perspective as Jesus hung on the cross next to two thieves. The world would look upon those upon the cross as those criminals suffering shame, humiliation for that which they had done. But Jesus looked at one, one who looked upon him with a repentant heart and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The world saw a dying thief on a cross. Instead, Jesus saw someone that would be with him that day in paradise. We are called to live a life looking the way that Jesus would look, seeing the way that Jesus would look. And sometimes our dumb questions, trying to point blame, trying to find the causes, it's futile. I believe that God is calling us to make sure that we live a life that makes a difference, that offers peace to those in the midst of storms, offers comfort to those that are suffering, offers hope and renewal. We are called to be a people that make a difference. John Wesley wrote uh, one quote that has always stuck with me. He wrote these words, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. That almost could be a hymn. 
Maybe his brother Charles could have written that into Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. We are called to be people that do all that we can to bring the hope and the light of Jesus Christ into the world, to shine his light into the darkness. Instead of looking for all the things that we can blame, may we look and see it the way that Jesus sees it. May our eyes be open to see as he does. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, as we, your people, come together today, Lord, may we have our eyes opened. As we acknowledge the reality of suffering within our community and within our world, as there is so much that causes division, Lord, may we find our purpose in you. Instead of us looking at the world and pointing and finding blame, may we look to the reality of the suffering. May we look with the eyes of Jesus and to see those that we can come alongside to offer peace, to be a balm of healing, to offer comfort. For in you, Lord, we find our hope. So God, may we be your people who carry that light into the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.